Have you hugged a ripen? Wagered a podcast bet? Toasted to friends at Clover Pine? Prove it all to your friends with Crossword merch available now in the gift shop. T-shirts, hats, mugs, stickers, and a whole lot more. Your purchase supports the show and keeps us running. Go to GhostbustersHQ/shop to get yours today. I like that shirt, friend. week on the program we are so pleased to have kevin lynn the award-winning morning radio personality from vancouver kiss radio you know him from 104.9 he is here to talk some ghostbusters with us we're going to be doing a deep dive into the uh, ghostbusters soundtracks the pop music from the soundtracks and we're also going to be doing some speculating on what we think we will hear and what we will not hear on the afterlife soundtrack it is a very entertaining conversation a fun hour coming up here we go Still Playing With Toys presents The Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossroad, the biggest podcast since 1909. So free. News, interviews, and commentary on everything Ghostbusters. Are you the key Here are your hosts, Troy Benjamin and Chris Stewart. You know, it's just occurred to me we really haven't had a completely successful test of this equipment. Oh, we have fun. Woo! Hey there, everyone. A very special treat for you all this week. Uh, you you saw him in a clever ploy to get goods from Ghost Corps out to our fans uh, in our 300th episode. Uh, Kevin was so uh, kind to do our trivia question on video, and it was it was a lot of fun to have him. And and when we did that, we were like, why hasn't Kevin been on this show? We need to. He is a radio professional. Why are we not inviting the radio <laughs> professional onto the show? Uh, so joining us from uh, Vancouver is Mr. Kevin Lim. Kevin, how are you? Troy, Chris, it's so good to see you. Good to uh, be on the show. Uh, I, I told this to Chris when you invited me. I, I, I said it was a complete honor, um, but I, I don't consider myself like a huge expert when it comes to Ghostbusters music, but I'm definitely a huge fan. So, uh, you know, I, I won't be the one to be able to contribute things like, you know, the rare remix from <laughs> Germany that you can only find and one online store that may or may not be a scam. No, uh, we're, we're not going to get anywhere near that kind of level of detail. No, no. Great. Um, yeah, that's that's quite all right. I mean, I think part of this was uh, just because... So we, we have talked probably off and on now for how long? Years. Uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years at least. Um, and uh, so I, I wanted to have you on the show selfishly just to get to know you a little bit better. Um, and for all of our listeners out there who, who don't get the opportunity to listen to you on the morning radio show uh, every morning um, to kind of familiarize themselves with you. Um, and then, and yeah, and then like you said, we're going to get into a, a discussion here about Ghostbusters music, the pop tracks that are on uh, the, the three existing films. And uh, we're going to speculate a little bit about Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is going to be fun. But um, but first, yeah, Kevin, tell us about you. Uh, tell us about yourself. Where are you from, and and what do you do for a living? And when did you become a Ghostbusters fan? Those three. Those Kevin are the hard hitting questions. Kiss Radio One Hundred Four Point Nine. So weird. <laughs> I'm usually the one always doing like all the the interviews myself. So being on the other end is is a bit surreal. Uh, I I grew up in Vancouver, British Columbia, or a, a little suburb called Port Coquitlam. Uh, Chris, I can probably see you a little bit from the window. Actually, we're, we're you know we've hung out a few times outside of the uh, the old Ghostbusters realm. Uh, gosh, and I've been a fan my entire life. Like, so I do the morning show on 104.9 Kiss Radio uh, in Vancouver. So uh, if you live in Canada, we've got a Kiss Radio app. 
Uh, you can stream us anywhere around the world at kissradio.ca. So I do the morning show from 5 a.m. till 10 a.m. And one thing that uh, I'm known for on the show is my absolute love for Ghostbusters. Uh, I know, you know, like I get teased by my co-hosts a lot about how much <laughs> I love me. Ghostbusters. How could she tease you? Uh, you know, <laughs> but, but I tell you though, like I, I love, like last time the three of us hung out was at FanFest. And I got to say, like that was one of the greatest experiences as a Ghostbusters fan because it actually felt like I was amongst my people, you know, like people who, who understood like the nerdy fandom of Ghostbusters. Uh, and so, yeah, I've been doing radio for about 15 years and, uh, you know, I just fell in love with it. It's um, it's just a blast. And, you know, there's not a lot of jobs that are easy to wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning for. Um, this is kind of one of them. And especially yeah. when you have a young one, too. Like, ha- having a newborn and having a morning show uh, that you've <laughs> got to get up super early, how do you do it, man? Tell me tell me your secret. <laughs> uh, I discovered something called coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Later in life. like it, it was a couple years into my radio career doing mornings, and I, dis- I, I discovered coffee, and it has helped tremendously. tremendously. See, i got a... 10 year uh, 10 month old daughter and uh i've got a six year old boy named bennett so and still yeah. can somehow manage to wake up that early and, and do the show um i didn't say it was any good i mean <laughs> you're just kind of inferring that <laughs> and and kevin has fallen asleep on the air once again kevin kevin wake up uh every day i aim for a four out of ten that's what i like to say you know <laughs> four out of ten anything beyond that is a nice surprise <laughs> your commute your commute is early but quick. That's what I. That's what I. You and I have a very similar uh, length of commute. It's just mine is stuck behind a whole bunch of cars yelling at them the entire way. Right. Like it feels right. a lot like you have the Batman, the Batman highway right into town at at the the wee hours of the morning. And I too come out of a bush, just like the old, uh, <laughs> you know, Adam West Batman. <laughs> Uh, that brings up, I mean, this is not related to anything that we, uh, we'll Speaking be of bushes. about, but, uh, <laughs> have you been having to broadcast from home during COVID? Do you, can you go into the studio or has that not been a thing for you all? Yeah. So we're like the only people really in the studios right now, like the, the on-air staff, um, because everybody else has been working from home to sort of limit the amount of people in the building. Right. Um, I have done a couple home broadcasts, you know, like when, yeah, as you know, uh, Troy and Chris, like when you've got little ones in school and they get sick, you know, it means that everybody has to be sort of on the COVID protocol, uh, get tested and all that. So right. I have done a couple home broadcasts and I far prefer being behind the, the board like I normally am in the morning. Um, but, uh, I mean, technology has come so far. I mean, look at us right now, like in three different cities and, uh, you know, like you can do a lot right now virtually, which is pretty amazing. But it's also different than being in the booth, you know, with your producer on the other side of the glass. And I mean, yeah, just like, it's a different thing. It's, I, I feel the same way. Like I love working from home and I love being with my family and being, you know, being able to stay home with my daughter all day, every day. But there's also just like, I love going into the studio. I love driving onto the studio a lot and seeing what's going on that soundstage and what they're, uh, what they're loading in, what they're loading out. And it's like, it's different. Yeah. So I, I hear you. Um, well it's, uh, it's great to have a actual radio person. So now we're going to have, uh, just, we're going to grill you for questions as to what we're doing wrong with our show and maybe you can help <laughs> fix us now that we're like 303 episodes in, we feel like it's time to maybe like not stink. Um, so no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I, I definitely want to talk to you about music. Um, because 
Isn't that what uh, Michael Tanaka is for, by the way, to sort of just point out the things? <laughs> I don't, I'm not needed for that, right? That's, he, I think he loves it. I think he loves to send those emails at one o'clock in the morning. There's, there's a part of him that enjoys that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so the music, I mean, it's an integral part of Ghostbusters uh, from that original soundtrack, obviously from the Ghostbusters theme song by Ray Parker Jr. Like, when you think about Ghostbusters, there has to be at least one or two songs that pop into your head, uh, the, the earworms that will not go away 35, 40 years later. Um, what was your experience, you know, when, because I'm, I'm assuming you saw Ghostbusters as a kid. What was your yeah. experience with the soundtrack? When, when, did you, when did you decide to, like, purchase the soundtrack and start listening to it? Do you remember? So I remember, like, so for me, like many um, Ghostbusters fans, Ghostbusters 2 was actually the one that solidified my love for the franchise. And I remember vividly being in my childhood bedroom. And I didn't have the soundtrack at the time, but I had a poster on my wall. And it wasn't even, like, a legit poster. It was, like, a photocopy, like, a, a color photocopy that my dad brought home one day because he was a photocopier uh, technician before he retired and it was of the Ghostbusters 2 poster and I would look at it and I would have this incredible visceral memory of hearing the the song On Our Own from Bobby Brown playing as I looked at the poster but I never, like the internet wasn't around at the time so I didn't know what song that was I didn't know any of the lyrics beyond some of the, the melodies mm. and so finally when I got the cassette tape which I wore out right? And my Walkman and my cassette player, I just felt that was like my soundtrack from when I was a kid. Uh, so, you know, when I talk, when I think back to some of the, like the musical soundtracks of the Ghostbusters movies, Ghostbusters 2 was not just a soundtrack to the movie uh, and a movie that I loved. It was a soundtrack to a big part of my childhood. Yeah, same, same. And I, same thing. I didn't have the cassette for the longest time. I bugged poor DJs like you for like requesting every song and then sitting with the radio ready to record it uh, every time oh, yeah. so that I had kind of like a cobbled together version of it. And then my parents finally took pity on me and they're like, okay, here kid, have a cassette tape. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's funny because I, I feel like your story and, and I, I feel the same way too. It was like that summer of 89 going into 90 um, was all about the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack. Like that was just, it, it, it became, and I actually came to Los Angeles to be with my grandparents when that um, when that cassette was finally in my hands, and I played it on my Talkboy, which I got for my birthday that year too. And it was just you such had a, a Talkboy, yeah, man. Like jamming to the Ghostbusters two soundtrack on my Talkboy while my grandma took me to <laughs> Disneyland. That's the summer memory I have. I guess that would have been ninety one, so it was shortly after Ghostbusters two came out. But um, but yeah. Chris, what about you? What when did you uh, get the the soundtrack to? Was it the, the first film? Was probably the first soundtrack you had. It was the first one. Yeah, I got it on cassette. Um, <clears throat> that's pretty much all I had back then was the cassette. No, you know what though? I think mostly it actually came later. I remember seeing the movie, and I didn't really. And Ghostbusters, like Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters, was everywhere on the radio. You didn't really have to like go buy your own copy, which right. is kind of everywhere. Just flip on the radio and hear it. And I know I have a cassette in my collection over there, but I don't think I bought it until like a little while while later. Weirdly, I I, I remember well, I was eleven. <clears throat> what was I listening to at eleven? I remember Michael Jackson's um, Thriller album was big at roughly the same time, at least it chronologically in my my own personal headspace there. Um, 
Hmm. Yeah, it was a cassette, but like I said, I think I was way more into music. Well, let's put it this way. By the time Ghostbusters 2 came around, I had already discovered the section of the public library in Calgary that nobody else was using where some librarian had was bringing in like uh Houdini and uh uh, all, all the, the early, early hip hop albums were all in the, the tape section that you could like in rent the out of the library. library. That's awesome. And nobody yeah. else was taking them out. Man, our library was nothing but classical music and uh, no. spoken word audio. Oh, no, no. I yeah. have, I have mixtapes around somewhere that contain bits and pieces taken off of those, those library cassettes. Uh, don't, don't tell the recording industry, nah. but, um. But yeah, when I got, so by the time Ghostbusters 2 came out, I was all over, you know, any bit of dance, early electronica, hip hop, all that, that I could get my hands on. So the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack was squarely in that wheelhouse. Uh, right. That whole first side is nothing but R&B and hip hop. So yeah. And wasn't that great? Like, it was such a great, uh, you know, every Ghostbusters movie is sort of a reflection of its time. Right. You know, like and, and what's popular at the time. And I mean, when you talk about the, the late 80s R&B and the, the new Jack, you know, the run DMC and and then Elton John, you know, like it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was just a solid, solid album, even if you didn't love Ghostbusters. Right. It was super solid. And it was built, weirdly enough, around Bobby Brown, two tracks his old uh, R&B group is on there. Edition, like they dominate edition. the first side. Yeah. And the cover of the Ray Parker Jr. by Run DMC is side two. Like <laughs> that whole that whole soundtrack is like heavily built on the shoulders of Bobby Brown. And um, that's the stuff I remember most. I Because the other thing is around 89, we lived squarely in the realm of uh, Kasingles. And uh, early, the early uh, oncoming of CD singles. So that's what I remember, like, specifically seeking out. Like, I have still somewhere my, uh, on our own, little cardboard sleeve cassette single for, uh, for that. Uh, yeah. It's weird. Like, Ghostbusters... Nope. There it is. Sorry, the memory just popped in. I had the vinyl for the first one. I remember buying the vinyl for the first one. We did not have a record player at our house, hmm. but my best friend's <laughs> uh, family, they had a turntable and I took it over there. That's why I can't remember buying the cassette. Although my memory was nothing but listening to it on cassette. I took it to their house and I, I dubbed it onto tape <laughs> and that's how I listened to it. How, and how, how were they about that? Cause I, I had a friend who had the vinyl too, and I would always make them like throw the LP on when I was at their house. And I think that friend hated me. <laughs> for it for like always wanting to listen to ghostbusters at his house <laughs> i was allowed to do it when they were not there when we were just hanging out oh uh, and the, the parents weren't there i got to uh, i got to do the dubbing and all that so yeah that's that's basically it there's nothing super exciting about it the first one kind of does not fit an era very well because it was kind of that one of the earliest we talked about this before i think troy it was one of the earliest examples of the transition away from releasing the the score as a soundtrack with maybe like the one or two, like you could go get uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid and it would have like the score and Burt Bacharach right. doing raindrops, uh, you know, keep falling on my head. Right. 
This was the one where they peppered it with all these needle drops, crammed some in just to have a, like, you could tell they wanted more and came up with a flimsy excuse, like air supply hiding <laughs> in the guy's well, headphones, right? Yeah, I was going to say, like, that, that to me... Like the first album, you can always tell it was an Arista Records because you had Air Supply and all of the Arista um, yeah. artists, artists on there, uh, Thompson Twins. Um, and then so you get to the second movie, which is MCA. And of course, then you start getting your Run DMCs, your Elton Johns, your Glenn Frey's, your like, the, yeah. the artists that were in the MCA Universal uh, Music Library at that time. Um, and then Sony with... Answer the call. Uh, yeah, and then same thing. They did it yep. again with Answer the Call. So that's why I'm really curious what's going to happen with Afterlife being, you know, still a Sony uh, film that they're probably trying to get some Sony artists into. But I'm sure I'm sure Jason Reitman and Ivan Reitman had some pretty strong opinions about the music, and I don't know who who wins in that arm wrestling fight. <laughs> yeah, um, precisely. But well, so let's go back to the second movie because that was Kevin's sure. Ke- Kevin's first one, and 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 mine as well. Uh, just in terms of the playability on on that particular soundtrack, um, Kevin, what are kind of the strength? I mean, you, you talked about on our own, obviously, which is I mean, everybody loves that. If you don't love that song, you shouldn't be listening to this show at all. Uh, but what are some of the other standouts on that album? Like, what are the ones that? As soon as it comes on uh, on your your phone or or on your Spotify playlist, like you got to crank it up and and jam out to it. Yeah, what do you got to skip and what do you got to turn up? Yeah, right. First of all, you you assume that I don't have in my car CD player still, and I listen to it at least once a week. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, so I mean, the uh, Bobby Rounds on our own is is by far one of my favorite songs of all time. Uh, next to that, I mean, Run DMC's Ghostbusters was was fun. Right, it was a, just a fun rendition of the song. Uh, it reminds you of the montage in the movie, and I think that's one of the things that makes these soundtracks great. And the songs uh, that come from it that are really special are the ones that have a connection to the actual movie. Um, the ones that are sort of the music inspired by that don't really appear in the movie. Yeah. those are the ones that are really easy to skip. I think, and you know, when you think of, of like the first Ghostbusters soundtrack, if we can go back to that one, you know, it's. Clean up the town. Awesome, right? You remember that scene of 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 what it's like. We got one. They're you know flying you down the, the fire pole. Happening. Yeah, right. And the act of one just kind of you know all the way to the Cedric Hotel, and you can just imagine and relive that scene in your head. Uh, oh, saving the day. Another incredible anthem from that album. And then there's all the other ones that were just kind of like like you said, just kind of like thrown in there. Those are the easy ones to skip. Ghostbusters two, I feel like had far more songs that were featured in the movie on the actual soundtrack yeah. uh, in some bits and pieces. I mean, obviously with Higher and Higher, which was, you know, the overarching theme when they revisited again. But, and actually I talked to Chris about this. Uh, I think you and I were texting a few months ago about like the, the original Higher and Higher and how the, in the scene with the toaster, it's always bothered me as a fan that it's not synced up. So when Peter oh, no. says, wow, it sounds just like Jackie Wilson and... There's no vocals yet. It doesn't kick in for the 10 seconds, right? (laughs) It also bothered me that that wasn't on the soundtrack. I love the Jackie Wilson version. Why was that not on the soundtrack? I wonder why that was. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I think back to sort of uh, our original start of this conversation, which is I'm not the expert. How does Elton John fit? and, And I'm a big Elton John fan, don't get me wrong. But how does Love is a Cannibal fit into this album? Was it at all featured in some small part? Or no. was it never featured in the movie? It doesn't show up anywhere. It doesn't show up anywhere. And I've always wondered, was it in a cutscene? Was it something that had been f- 
written and and intended to be in the movie and then didn't like during the the date scene between Dana and Peter like do you hear it in right. the radio in the background or was it source music of something but yeah it never it never shows up and and it's a fun track like i mean i'm i'm not yeah. the biggest Elton John fan but that is one song that it's like ah, I, all right i can put the windows down while i'm driving to this like this is a lot of fun um i i have a theory about why it's not in the movie though Oh really? I, I I think it was a an, a good name for the soundtrack, and they put it on there. Love is a cannibal. Mm. Yeah, but that 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 title does not fit. Like the thing about Ghostbusters Two as an album is a lot of the songs fit nicely with the with like Flip City when they play it when the city's going nuts, right? Everybody right. perfect, right? That first side, um, uh, new additions track is. Not Supernatural. specifically for the movie, but it's called Supernatural, right? Yeah. Uh, the yeah. two Bobby Browns were written specifically for the movie. He mentions the Ghostbusters and Vigo in one, if not both of them. I know he mentions Ghostbusters in both of them, but um, uh, what else? Oh, uh, the Dougie Fresh. Line. Oh, yeah. Dougie Fresh was was written precisely for the, uh, uh, the, the movie as well, because he mentions the Ghostbusters in it. Uh, yeah, Promised Land, he wrote, it was written, uh, uh, written for his album, but uh, yeah, Promised Land doesn't quite fit either. One was written for, an, and was intended to be in another movie. I think Promised yeah. Land was intended to be in another movie and, and they kind of said, oh, sorry, JT, uh, we'll put you in Ghostbusters so that you still get those sales. Yeah. Um, that's the other thing too. There's, there, there could be like record label stuff going on that we will never, ever hero it will never see the late of day right? Yeah, like, right so at one point he's he's in an office somewhere uh, kicking over gold records and all that <laughs> yelling why didn't i end up on whatever other hit movie was out that year um so throw him on ghostbusters 2 yeah I, bobby I, brown though i mean on her own if if, if i can just kind of go back to that one though and, and the success of this one of the uh it was two summers ago bobby brown played at our uh, what we call it the peony it's is the the big uh fair in vancouver and uh bobby brown was performing with mc hammer as part of uh, what was billed nice. as mc hammer's house or something like that anyway um i got tickets to that and I remember, Chris, I, I invited you and you were out of town, unfortunately, for that one. <laughs> yeah. And I said, if Bobby Brown does On Her Own, right, one of my favorite anthems, one of my favorite songs of all time, right? This is the soundtrack to my childhood. I will freak out. And so he goes on and he does like, you know, humping around, my prerogative, like all the, the, the mainstays you would expect. And then he goes, some of you might remember this song. And my heart starts beating so fast <laughs> and i'm wearing my ghostbuster shirt at this time right i'm like come on please be on our own and he and then it starts i'm like and that has to be one of the greatest concert experiences of my entire life and as a radio host i have been to a lot of concerts like i've been to everyone from justin timberlake and you know destiny's child and their farewell tour and mariah carey and uh you know limp biscuit you know like everyone in between but bobby brown performing on her own at the fair at the Peony in Vancouver a couple summers ago was just an incredible experience yeah. as a Ghostbusters fan. 
Well, and because I didn't think he performed it. I was going to say particularly because I think he kind of had a chip on his shoulder the same way that Run DMC had a chip on their shoulder about the Ghostbusters theme. Like they they refused to perform it live and they refused to have it released uh, again on like their greatest hits album and. And I think Bobby Brown had the same thing. It was like, I, I did that for the paycheck and the for 89. Like, I don't want to revisit that. That's not part of my catalog. And much like Bill Murray coming around to Ghostbusters, it seems like maybe Bobby Brown did too. He's like, oh, people actually love that song. I should perform that song. Give the people what they want. And he did. I have, uh, I have a shout out to Paul Rudolph. I, I found uh, he's got a note on Spook Central about uh, about, uh, love is a cannibal. That's, I was trying to find that. I swear. I was like, I'm going to spook central. Cause I bet Paul has something. About yeah, absolutely. It. So you learn? from an August 28, 1989 Newsweek article. So like, you know, barely after the movie's been out for only a few weeks, uh, they had an article, how to sell a soundtrack. First, ignore the movie. Uh, music supervisor, Pete Afterman and director Ivan Reitman decided that most of the soundtrack music didn't fit. But by then the record company had made promises to the artists. Uh, looking back, we probably shouldn't have had a soundtrack says Afterman, but the producer and record company wanted the added promotion of what they thought would be the summer's mega hits. And they were right because at least Bobby Brown was huge that year. So yeah, he also, he also notes here that Elton John wrote it specifically for the movie. Not a good fit, but he wrote it for the movie. Really? Okay. Yeah. And it's played, uh, in the closing credits. So you do hear it if you stick around during the credits. So That's weird. That's so funny because that's the opposite of what happened in the original film where Elmer Bernstein had written all of the score and Ivan cut that out and added in the pop tracks and Elmer Bernstein was really upset by it. So on, <laughs> on the second movie, they decided the pop tracks weren't working and they put the score in or something. That's funny. But we're finally going to get that score later this summer, the Randy Edelman score, which is just, you know, again, as a Ghostbusters 2 fanatic, that's like the holy grail. I yeah. mean, I think there's a there's a YouTube video that I will pull up once in a while that just has the vocal tracks removed, like all the audio tracks removed from the movie, and you just hear the background. But, like, for that to finally be released as a score, I mean, that's going to be awesome. Yeah, that's... Dan Amrick was on the show for the 300th episode and said that there wasn't anything memorable about the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack. And if you go back and watch the video on our YouTube channel, you can see my face go, <laughs> what? What do you mean there wasn't anything memorable? <laughs> Ghostbusters 2 has so many. But yeah, um, I'm right there with you. I'm excited about that. Uh, what, so I would have hung up on him. Yeah, no, um, sorry, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um are there any that you skip on the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack? Because I do find myself, I'll skip the Promised Land because that you have to be in the right mood for that one. That's kind of a depressing song. Uh, you know, I feel like, is it Supernatural of the Promised Land that has a really slow start that's really quiet and it's about like 10, Promised 15 Land. seconds? Promised is it Land Promised has Land? that, yeah. like, it's, got, it's got like wind yeah. and yeah. yeah, the rising uh, synthesizer, uh, xylophony type sounds. Yeah, it's very... Yeah, that's an easy one to skip if, if you're not really in the mood. Uh, what else? What else is sort of a skip in there? Um, yeah, everything else in that that album again because it was such a, a formative album for you know my childhood growing up. Uh, I I loved uh, you know front to back because you know again on cassettes you're not it's really it's not as easy to skip like you actually had to go and 
fast forward and then you could often go too far and they have to rewind it back to the beginning to find the right you know like that's so you'd you listen to it through and through like front to back both sides in order rather than skipping around as easily whereas now with streaming and, and cds right it, it's so much easier to, to jump bounce tracks around. yeah right right yeah. I can imagine if I was a fan of like the original Ghostbusters soundtrack, how frustrating it would have been to uh, fast forward and cassette Mick Smiley to get to the second <laughs> half of the song that you recognize, right? Because <laughs> when magic happens and, and you start listening, like, I don't know, uh, what song is this? This is not, and then, you know, it's deep into the song that you find, like, oh, okay. uh, st- Stupid kid truth. Uh, as, as a kid with my cassette tape, I thought they put the wrong song on the album i thought that it was some sort of like an engineering or a mastering mistake like this is not the song from the movie they goofed uh right and and didn't because i would always fast forward through it because i'm like i don't know what this song is until one time like you were saying i stopped it a little too soon and heard that i was like oh that's what this is what right there a second song on here what what's going on yeah it Still, it even still throws off like my daughter when she's got the cd that she puts in her walkman her discman and she well she that. wants she sits and she fast forwards because she doesn't like that part at the beginning because it's not in the movie. She doesn't like the part yeah. that's not in the movie. How old's your daughter, by the way? She's three. She's three, and she's already very particular where she fast forwards through things that aren't in the movie. So I'm I'm really worried. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a I've got an OCD uh, geek like myself uh, on my hands. But uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna veer off a tiny bit with uh, the soundtrack talk for a second. As as dads. Um, how much are you, I mean, and again, we're obviously very big ghost heads. I mean, you guys have had a podcast for over 300 episodes. Uh, how much does it like resonate in you that you want to see the same kind of love with your kids and Ghostbusters when, you know, obviously it's a different world and maybe they have different interests or whatever. Like obviously, you know, for, uh, well, for me in particular, I, I remember I was waiting so long to share that with my son until he became old enough to watch, you know, the non-scary bits and then, yeah. you know, eventually the whole movie. Is it the same in your, your family? I feel like, I mean, we didn't really f- force it on Hazel. Like I didn't, I didn't want her to feel like it was, you know, dad's making me watch this thing that he loves and you will like this. And if you don't like this, you're not my daughter. Um, (laughs) so I, I've been really careful about that, but she's, she's been, she's been so actively interested in it that she'll ask to watch them. She'll ask to watch real Ghostbusters on Saturday mornings, which just gives me, my heart grows three sizes every time she asks that. Um, but she'll also want to watch the original film and she knows them well enough now. Cause she's got like the little golden books too, where she knows yeah. where certain things happen. So she will, she will tell me to skip parts. She's like, Oh, the terror dog's coming up. Can you skip this part, daddy? Like she will, she will tell me what she's comfortable in, in watching, which uh, it makes it really easy to parent. Like it's easy mode parenting where they're like, Oh, this is too scary for me. You skip it. Like, Oh great. Right. I don't have to think about that. Fantastic. Um, but it did. It took a little bit to get there too. Like I didn't want to show it to her because I thought it might be too scary and too intense. Um, but she was pretty insistent upon it. Um, same thing with Ghostbusters too. Like there are parts she doesn't know about the bathtub trying to eat Oscar because I refuse to let her see that. Just yeah. knowing how traumatizing that was for me as a eight year old. Like for a three year old, no way, man. Like a bath time's hard enough as it is already. We're not gonna. <laughs> not gonna do that. But. But I, and Chris, you've you've kind of talked about it before. Like Thomas had a, a Stay Puffed that he had in the in the bassinet as a as a baby, but that was like the only thing that you kind of like. Here you go. 
Yeah. I mean, over the years, in a, a couple of places, like I picked up, um, let's see, the Playmobil Ecto. I got that, and he liked that for a while. Um, same with the Fire Hall. Uh, he got the Popper. But frankly, and he's he's seen some of the cartoons. I don't think I've watched the movie with him. The movies I'm actually kind of leaving until he gets a bit older, because I honestly... I think I think it's it's a roll of the dice depending on how old your kid. Yeah. Like if and they're on the younger side, they may sometimes they respond to it great and sometimes they don't. Whereas I think if I wait until he hits that formational movie watcher 11 or 12 thing, I might be able to like insert it in there and then just let it let, let see how he reacts to it sort of thing. But um you know, at the end of the day, I bring like going through Walmart and they're like glow in the dark kids ghostbusters pajamas. I'm like in, and I buy it. He, he loves wearing them, but it's weirdly kind of divorced from the movie and the cartoons. He's familiar with them. He likes the concept. I mostly think he just sort of likes wearing them because he knows I like them. Right. Like same the, with the, the same pajamas with my son. and all that sort. Yeah. The yeah. toys did not last forever because he outgrew them sort of thing. And he never, he never really made, uh, you know, any bones about it. They just weren't his thing anymore. And he had moved on to other things. Now that said, I mean, I, I honestly think given what his interests are, cause he does notice it and he, that's the other thing he likes to do. I, I honestly think a lot of his connection to it right now, and this is why I definitely don't want to be forcing it with him is he knows I like it and right. he actually goes out of his way if he sees stuff. Like he's the, him and mom have seen stuff out in the world and bought it and brought it back to me. Or if he saw, you know, a reference somewhere, he'll point it out to me or whatever. He likes that as a connection with me sort of thing, but I never, ever want to take that as, oh, this is your love too. And I'm now going to cram it down your throat sort of thing. Right. But his, I'm more interested once this new movie comes out, uh, he'll be old enough to come see it with me. And I definitely think we will. I think he'll have a much stronger connection to it because of the kids in it. Uh, he also knows who Paul Rudd is. So I think that'll go a long, long ways. Whereas, you know, the older movies are dad's old actor people that he's not quite. (laughs) And I'm kind of curious. Uh, I'm not trying to bring the, we can keep talking dad talk here, but he really loves music, but particularly, you know, whatever is the cutting edge, whatever dance track or top 40 track or whatever is. Uh, there's a reason why I, I, I listened to Kevin's radio station cause it perfectly plays everything Thomas listens to. So uh, there's not a lot of, uh, classic, uh, rock radio in, in my car, but, uh, every time he's in there, it's, it's like a, a tiny helium voice sound hound. Like he, he'll name every song as it comes on. So when the it. new soundtrack comes out, I'm curious, I think that might be something he'll definitely, that might be an inroad to loving the movie. If it is, even if in a slightly different way, at least having a, a, his own connection plug into the movie is the soundtrack and the music may actually be something that attracts him. I don't know. We'll see. And particularly it's if very it is different. that It's very edge. different from Troy's though. He's never asked to watch the stuff. He's, and so I'm just like, that's okay. I, I am, I'm such a horrible parent. I let her watch anything she asks because she says she loves spooky stuff. And she's like, can I watch this? I'm like, okay, sure. Every kid's different. We've, we've all done it. Thomas has seen 75% of the suicide squad in bits and pieces uh, because I'm a terrible father. Right. So, (laughs) but you know, there's a disassociation with, I think, you know, when our kids watch Ghostbusters uh, to the time that's passed, because we know 
that Bill Murray and the rest of the cast, they're all in their 70s right now, right? But when, you know, we're Late watching Ghostbusters. 60s, sir. Slow your roll there, okay? <laughs> Some of them are in their <laughs> 70s, though, right? No! What? I think Her- Harold would have been in his 70s by now, but the rest of them are still. I'm looking it up. No, Bill. Troy, back me up here. How, how old is Bill? I don't. I think Bill Murray just had 69. Because I have the oh, t-shirt dear. from William Murray Golf. Oh, no. Bill Murray, September last year, just turned 70. 70. So I retract okay. my statement. Okay. Okay. But I mean, like, so, I mean, when you, when you think of like sort of our, our kids and in the background or whether you watch it with them and you see, and they see, you know, uh, Dan and they see Ernie and they see Harold and they see Bill, you know, in their 30s, it's such a weird thought because they don't know that they've aged 35 yeah. years since yeah. then, right? Um, anyway, uh, thank you for uh, for allowing me to sort of uh, geek out about dad talk and, and sort of bring bring this back to, to the music as, as I think Troy or uh, Chris was trying to do here. No, and and it's actually, it's a good segue because that's, my daughter loves the soundtracks too. And it's, and it's her request to put them on in the cars or again, she's got her disc band that she sits and she listens to while she reads at night yeah. before bed. So it's like the music, it still resonates, at least with a three-year-old in 2021, <laughs> you know, right. it's not I, I, like he was obviously much younger when, uh, answer the call came out, but it had a handful of songs on it that he really, L King for, uh, uh, he was huge, uh, on her. Like he really loved listening to her on the radio. So when I said, you know, she's got a song on the soundtrack, he's like, right. gotta hear it we played the hell out of it for the longest time in the car. So they try to push that as a, as a radio single. I remember uh, the station I was working at at the time uh, that got service to us. And it was like one of the songs off the new Ghostbusters movie soundtrack. And I, I pushed for us to play it. I'm like, okay, great. This L King, she's hot off of X's and O's and, you know, good girls. Great. You know, it doesn't specify uh, you know, that it's got a Ghostbusters connection, at least to my memory, because uh, so there are certain songs that are off of, um, you know, like the, the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack, for example, that, again, talks about Ghostbusters. So it it's hard for that mainstream success unless you have that connection. Not to say it's not possible. I mean, Men in Black in 1997 was a perfect example of that synergy where it what you knew it was from the movie and you knew it was a song about the movie when Will Smith came out with that and it was everywhere and that was and that's what I, what I'm hoping for with Afterlife is that there's going to be some associative song from the soundtrack that carries through with pop culture uh, like Ray Parker Jr. like to a certain extent on our own did with Bobby Brown that did have some success on the charts that you can hear it on the radio after you leave the theater and it reminds you of what it's like when you were sitting there watching it for the first time and it brings back the memories and the scenes and you relive that, that that's what I'm hoping for, for afterlife. Um, so El, but El King never did really did anything on the charts. Um, I, I know I thought, I thought that Fall Out Boy and, and Missy Elliott with their version of Ghostbusters had potential as a spice track to get some sort of attention. Um, and again, it didn't really do very much. I thought the uh, Mark Ronson track, cause that's the one that my daughter listens to all the time. The get ghost great. track, like, I thought that would get more radio play, honestly, but yeah. Well, here, here's here's my thinking about that particular soundtrack. If you look at the listings, like if you just check, read the listings, it reads like the record company identified every possible musical genre that they thought could share space on an album and got a track to match it. Fallout yeah. Boy, Missy Elliott, uh, 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 was it Zane, Zayn? 
Yeah, Zane. One half of the Wonder Twins. He's <laughs> like that. That he, I remember how hot uh, he was at the time. Like perfect, put him on there. Mark Ronson was in his own. Like as a producer, had a bunch of stuff. It was quite hot. Get him on there. Like El King, all of them. Like it seemed like everybody was just some niche of the eighteen to thirty-five year old market that they thought they could appeal oh, to and get a song made for. There was that, uh, is it the, oh shoot, I'm being the old man right now. What's the name of the band that's on the Answer the Call? Is it? Uh, five Seconds of Summer? Five, yes, thank you. Five Seconds of Summer, where when we had our alerts, our Google alerts and our social media alerts for Ghostbuster stuff at the time of Answer the Call, like the fans of of of, uh, of that, that particular genre or that particular band, I guess, we're just blowing it up with, you know, yeah. Ghostbusters in the song. And, and, and I, I, that, that to me, when that happened, I was like, oh, that's why they did that. That's why they put right. the, the 30 seconds of summer on there because that's what they wanted is they wanted that new, you know, audience to come into it and be like, Ghostbusters. Oh, that's the thing my dad likes. Oh, but I love Zane. Like, uh, you know, that kind of, right. Which, yeah. Which is, which is the thing. Are they going to, like is the record company going to attempt the same thing this time and how many misses are going to be on the soundtrack because they were uh 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 picking from a roster that has now completely changed in terms of where they are in their career or popularity or right like is there going to be any mega hits because they tapped somebody who was just sort of on the rise then who is now yeah, completely sure. blowing sure. up, right? But they may. I mean, I could also see the Wrightmans saying like five seconds of summer. Yeah, they're real hot right now. But are they going to be in a couple months? Like, you know, I I could see them having that argument with the the music label saying like, okay, if you want to put this in my movie, prove it to me that it's going to have the impact that you say it's going to. But and then, like I said, that brings it all around to even if they win that argument with them, was it? only for that window a year ago and it's right. now completely lost, right? Like top 40, man, is it has such a, a huge, um, I mean, you, the big artists that can sustain like this momentum, it's, they're not, they're not a lot of them. I mean, you, you think of like Ariana Grande and Taylor Swift and, you know, Billie Eilish. Uh, sure. But there's a lot of songs that kind of come and then they kind of go. And, you know, th- I mean, I know five seconds of summer has a huge, fan following because again like you said Troy right that when that was announced there was a huge push from those fans younger fans especially to try to get them to watch the movie answer the call try to appeal to them and I feel like with with this uh, you know potential approach with afterlife there is that risk because of all the delays that maybe they they banked on somebody who was really hot at the time you know when they signed them but by the time it comes out in November, will they still be as hot? I don't know. I mean, it's not that much of a delay when you think about it. So it's not like it was a four-year gap in between and suddenly this person is no longer relevant or they has some scandal or something like that, right? I mean, the other way that they could have taken it is what if they and, – and in hindsight, if the movie is delayed multiple times, which they could have never planned for, but if they would have done this, it might have helped protect them with, is what if they went retro with it? Like what if the soundtrack has – kind of like a stranger things kind of feel to it where they're using, uh, you know, the, the clash and, and air supply, air air supply. What if there's (laughs) another air supply track on there? Well, here's, I had a similar thought because the first two movies are set in New York. New York encompasses all things musically. 
So you can make any soundtrack with a little bit of this and a little bit of that fits fine. Same with the answer to the call too, right? Technically it was New York by way of Boston, right? This is small town America now in this new movie. So is, is it, it's like, <laughs> I, I don't know then that they, they would take modern artists that match that environment and expect that the soundtrack will go well. At the same time though, I don't know how much you can load it with like say a little, a little Nas X may not fit. Although, yeah. you know, it is a bunch of teenagers hanging out. It, it could, but I, like I said, I like your, your guys' idea. Maybe they just decide to, they'll curate, they'll pull out Quentin Tarantino. They'll just curate stuff that they like and fits the movie the way they want people to experience the movie with like some needle drops in it sort of yeah. thing. So, or, or what if it's, what if it's artists like. Chromio or, you know, pe people that are new and, and recent, um, but are, have kind of a retro sound, kind of like have a new sure. wave eighties sound maybe. Um, Black Eyed Peas is with Sony and those guys are still hustling to try to, to get their name back up and running after, uh, Fergie, Fergie left. left. So, Hey, they made a whole song, uh, doing, you know, professing their love with, uh, eighties and early nineties hip hop. So. And those guys have never turned down a buck, so it's quite possible. I'm putting my <laughs> podcast bet that Black Eyed Peas Black will Eyed be Peas. on the soundtrack. So my my ultimate nerd dream with Afterlife is that, as you said, there there could be some some wink and a nod to the original films. Maybe Bobby Brown will have a track on this. Ooh. Why not? Right? I mean, but uh, you know, again, in the in the in the pop cycle, he's not really super relevant, but he is with. You know, Ghostbusters canon. Uh, maybe it's not the lead track. Uh, and I think if you were to try to take a track from like a modern artist, I think someone like Billie Eilish could do a really great job with that feel, um, you know, that Jason Reitman's putting onto this new movie. Yeah. Uh, it's not it's not pop. It's kind of got that little bit of a haunting vibe to it. Uh, and she's got a new album that's coming out too. So I don't know. Maybe Maybe there is already something in the works. Yeah. Maybe a small nod to the kid who was uh, opening doors at Gracie Mansion, hit it big in the music industry, and recorded a song called On Our Own. Proton <laughs> Do a little callback. Yeah. I mean, I, I could also see, knowing, knowing Jason Reitman's tastes and seeing his previous films, like he could also go in a complete indie direction, too. Yeah. And, and everything we just talked about, it'll be all the people that you would hear on morning becomes eclectic out here on, on our NPR station where it's the kind of, you know, indie, uh, up and comers, uh, not well known that, and that might fit the kind of, you know, Midwestern vibe too of, of, uh, Oklahoma, I guess is where this is taking place. But there's also a chance that Finn Wolfhard's band might, you know, show up in the soundtrack. Yeah, that's true. Right. Are they still together? I thought they may have parted ways by now. So oh. there you go. There may, there's somebody who may be on the album at a time when they were looking <laughs> to get some exposure out of it. And now that window is completely gone. The band broke up, man. <laughs> I'm excited to hear where this Jason Reitman vision uh, takes 
music in Ghostbusters because so much of what Ghostbusters has been with the last three movies, if you include Answer the Call, it integrates music so well into it with the montages, right? And I think, you know, obviously there's been a lot of talk as, you know, in your podcast, I've, I've heard a lot of this chat about, you know, will there be a departure from the, the, the formula? Uh, will there not even be Ray Parker Jr., you know, to start off the whole thing? Uh, will Jason Wright take a, a completely different approach? And if that's the case... Um, I feel like I'd miss like the montage scene and I'd miss that, yeah. that connective tissue hearing the music in the movie and it was just orchestral, right? It was just the score uh, and nothing really, you know, no, no songs, no standalone soundtracks or music inspired by. That would be different. Yeah, it is. It's such a big part of it. Even even the montage part of it, like in in answer the call to me, I always keep going back to that's what was missing, man. They just needed a montage. I needed a montage to see them become successful and 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 enjoy that success or something. Um, and I think it was they at least had the Follow Boy one though. I mean, the Follow Boy Missy Elliott track did play as as they were you know peeling yeah. out and and going you know busting for the first time. And what a great moment that is too. Like uh, and it works so well and and the music ties into that just like you were saying. It's you you. You have to juxtapose the two of those, the visuals and the the music together so that when you see it, you have to hear the music. When you hear the music, you have to see the imagery and and it works so well. So I, yeah, I'm right there with you. And I just hope it's it's a soundtrack that can be in the regular rotation. Like answer the call. I still love that soundtrack. I listen to that soundtrack constantly. And yeah, there's a few tracks on there I skip, but, um, same thing. It's just it's it's a fun. We talked about it before. There's a, there's a couple of, of songs on there that don't get enough love either. Like yeah. were not songs that people uh, that got much rated. What was the one? Um, uh, Beast of Mayhem. The Beast of Mayhem did not get any radio play. <laughs> no, I think uh, that Ghoster. they thought they would be bigger after that concert, you know, and all the Probably. hype that it got. And, <laughs> no. Ghoster by Wolf Alice. Yeah. Yeah. Complete left field track on that soundtrack that actually I really, really liked. I, I just want to circle back quickly to Kevin, as Kevin pointed out then, inadvertently, uh, <laughs> Fall Out Boy and Missy Elliott uh, are the Bobby Brown we're back and the uh, bus boys cleaning up the town of Answer the Call. All three right. of those songs are the first the first big peel out to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. to go to get their feet back under them sort of thing. Oh boy. Do we think any of the songs in Afterlife are going to refer, kind of, Kevin, like you were saying, because they couldn't get radio play if they inferred, you know, lyrics to the the movie or or were kind of super commercial. And and now that you say that, now I understand why On Our Own had that radio edit that didn't have the rap about Vigo at the end, uh, because I'm, I bet that that got more radio play if it didn't have that rap about Vigo in it. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if you think of, of the accessibility of uh, something that just sounds like a great song or a song that you hear and is like, oh, that's a marketing tool or, oh, that's, that's from a movie that I didn't see. Um, you know, it, it's, it's far more serviceable, I think, if you keep it generic. But as a fan, it is kind of cool to hear. And I don't know how many movies do that anymore, to be honest. I, I, I'd have to really think hard to songs that are written specifically for the movies that have that huge mainstream success on the radio. Um, and they actually reference the movie, yeah. right? A lot of, a lot of the songs like, you know, Post Malone's Sunflower and the Spider-Verse movie, I, that was the last 
big song from a movie I could think of, but that was but a standalone song. The movie, yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't refer to it's it's not like you know the Dragnet City of Crime where you're rapping about everything that just happened in the movie. I can the, I can name I can name two, and it's by the same artist, and I think okay. it's the artist that that bucks the trend. Both times, Will Smith, Wild West, and Men in Black. But even in still, 90s, the songs 90s, he wrote, yeah, the songs he wrote for those two movies referenced yes. the movie and were ma- they were it was top ten tracks both of them. Yeah, uh, one movie performed better than the other, obviously, but still, that, that's that's about all I can think of. Yeah, clearly, Wild Wild West, right? Well, and and now <laughs> now that you mention it, Men in Black was one of the first albums that I can remember that was music from and inspired by was on the cover of the album too, where it was like, yeah. It was a solid album from start to finish, but it was like none of this was in the movie. Um, yeah, yeah. Movies do weird stuff. Like I remember the when Hackers came out, the soundtrack came out and was easier to get than the film for home video. Yeah, like it was very strange, and it was the same thing. It was so music from the mo- motion picture. The second one was music inspired by, and then they did at least one or two more. Like it, they used the movie Hackers as a uh a compilation album uh uh brand for for you know uh, dance and electronica and techno tracks and all that that weren't exactly a mainstream in north america at the time so let's get ghostbusters to that point let's make ghostbusters a brand so that we just have ghostbusters themed music that right yeah yeah, oh, you could pull an answer the call and do like eighteen different versions of the Ghostbusters theme and just just fill the whole thing with that. Ray you Parker know, Jr. wouldn't mind that, I'm sure. <laughs> do you think we're gonna get a release of a seventeen minute fan fest uh, performance <laughs> over the credits? For the <laughs> just the entire credits is just it's just that song. Ah, bless that man for finding ways to segue a seventeen minute song of Ghostbusters and keep us all entertained. That was still fun. I don't care. Uh, to quote you, um, Chris, podcast bet, will Dougie Fresh make an appearance in the Afterlife soundtrack? Oh, boy. I hope so. <laughs> so here's, the, here's the thing. I really like Dougie Fresh. See, the, the going back to songs that I, you know, we preferentially skip on when those things come up, I skip Run DMC quite a bit, to be honest. Like, hmm. not, not specifically the band. Like, there, there are, the, you know, It's Tricky and all that will always get multiple play with me. But, but their Ghostbusters one, I'm like, no. Interesting. And it's partially because... <sighs> There are other songs that were big hits. They were kind of writing for themselves and they have, they have like the, musically there, there's something to them. So even though the fact that they, they were like the biggest and the last of the, the simple era of rappers, right? Like line, you know, it, line one, line two, line two rhymes with line four. Do you know what I mean? Like right. very simple, straightforward, uh, rhyming structure. Their songs were still super catchy. Whereas this one, it was them trying to do Ghostbusters. It wasn't quite Ghostbusters. They were trying to tell the story of the movie in that. And because they're doing it in that simple structure of theirs, there's, you know, it's, it's just a weird animal that it, it, but then you get the Dougie fresh and Dougie fresh, you know, he's, I mean, he's a kind of a, 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 you know, a, early era a rapper and all that too but you can you listen to him and you can start to hear the concept of a rhyme flow like he starts messing with with all i've i've it's it's on my list <laughs> of things i would have done in a weekend when i was in my 20s which <laughs> is use the 
what's her name's marking system from uh, Vox, Earworm, where she she writes out uh, rap lyrics and then she marks the rhymes, so you can actually see the weird like the the, the interesting the structure of, of rhyming and all that. Yeah. That, but you can hear it with his that he's start. He it's not just. You know, line one, line two rhymes with line four. Like he's actually starting to, you know, do weird little syncopation and uh, stuff like that. So spirit, I never move away from. I will listen to it over and over and over again. But, you know, run DMC, it's kind of like, ah, no, it is the least best example of run DMC's work. And I honestly, like I said, it served the movie well, but it. But weirdly enough, they didn't even back it. They backed Bobby Brown. Bobby Brown was the name and the, you know, the face and the the song that was going to sell that movie. And Run DMC was just I don't know. And Spirit Spirit to me always does one of those things that I love that movie soundtracks have the ability to do and so rarely do is using little motifs or little things from the film score in the song so that it that 100% feels like it is a part of the movie. So when you get to right. the end credits yep. and you hear that, which was the Vigo theme from the whole movie. And then it goes into spirit like that blew my mind as a kid. Cause I was like, Oh, this is all part of the movie. And, and like any, any movie that does that where they work with the composer that uh, spider verse did that a couple, uh, black Panther did that. Um, where you you hear that that film score incorporated into the the pop track even in the credits or something like it just it's so cool like that's I hope Afterlife some way somehow works that Elmer Bernstein feel into a couple of tracks and gives us some spooky music. Uh, great uh, pointing out by the way that Black Panther had a huge because we were thinking of, like when was the last time there was that massive song associated with the movie and the weekends. Uh, you know, actually, there were quite a few songs that came off yeah. of that Black Panther soundtrack. So, uh, yeah, maybe they'll do this. But again, you know, there wasn't any huge association with the lyrics integrated into the, uh, you know, the actual song. So, uh, be very interesting to see if they take the Ghostbusters two approach or they take the, uh, you know, answer the call slightly. We'll mention something spiritual and then we'll give it a you know pass. Uh, or incorporates kind of, who you're going to call into every single song some way, right. somehow. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, Jason's indie filmmaking background, I don't know, I think there's a good chance, uh, Troy, I think you made the suggestion that it ends up a lot more like, uh, you know, uh, you didn't reference him, I referenced him, but more like a, a Tarantino movie, right? Or the director has a personal soundtrack in mind for the movie that he'll draw upon a pre-existing songs. Right. Yeah. That right. Okay. Yeah. In the same way that like DeBarge and DMX showed up in answer the call, right? Like if it yeah. was just a whole bunch of al- like songs just like that. And there was nothing really specifically, cre- you know, created for it. Yeah. yeah. At the same time, Sony music is not exactly small. It'll be interesting to see what the balance is then between Jason's, you know, what he, he hears in his head when he's editing or when he was storyboarding and all that sort of thing and what Sony and Sony marketing even will push for to get that. Cause that's the other, especially now <laughs> the, the, the marketing of movies and the need to get people to see a film is going to be huge for the next couple and of the years. The soundtrack is going to be a big part of that. Like the soundtrack is always marketing for the movie, even though we always right? don't tend so to what, think of it how, that way, but how yeah. will that war work? It's work itself out right like 
I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't know. But it'll be fun. Can't to wait see. to hear it. We'll find out in a couple months. Once we have that soundtrack out and then we can go back and be like, oh, we were so right. Or, oh, we were so wrong. Right. <laughs> I would love Black that. Black Eyed Peas track is awesome. <laughs> Chris, how did you know? That Bobby Brown Dougie Fresh song, didn't see it coming, but we did. <laughs> but we Is did. there any group it. that will sample everybody else from Ghostbusters 2 to make their song for Afterlife? It, it's, it's the Black Eyed Peas. I'm holding out for that. <laughs> Something sampled, yeah. That's right. Um, well, yeah, Kevin, we'll, we'll definitely have to have you back. I want to make sure that we give you some time to go sleep, knowing that you have to be up in about three hours. Uh, so. <laughs> it was worth it. Thank you for inviting me on the awesome. show. Uh, yeah, please come back fan, anytime. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll find some other stuff to talk about. We can even just do some more dad talk, because that was fun. It was being, being able to talk about dad stuff is always fun, too. It was a fun little thing to unpack with fellow ghost heads and, and you guys do such a great job. So thank you for entertaining me. You know, when I'm on my way home after doing the morning show uh, in Vancouver on KISS Radio, uh, it, Chris has been on my show. Now it's kind of cool for me to be on your show. So I appreciate it. Oh, man. Uh, our pleasure. Like, you're a pro, man. I, I am still in awe of what you did for that video on the 300th. Like, Chris goes, check this out. How pro is this? He gave us three <laughs> takes and gave us a countdown and a slate and it was great why yeah. are we including him to make us look so bad <laughs> <laughs> i don't know but I, we should do this like every wednesday because i feel good about myself so i'm gonna go to bed right now and i'm gonna good. feel really awesome perfect so. all right thanks kevin <laughs> take care thanks so much guys don't wait another minute pick up your phone and call the professionals go, 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 go stoppers. stoppers i'm sorry we'll do it again we want to hear from you leave us a voicemail on our calling line at 470-242-4742 that's 4702 GBHQIC. We also have a Facebook page. YouTube. And Twitter accounts. Friends is dead. No kidding. Just give me the address. Search Facebook for The Ghostbusters. Interdimensional Crossroads. On Twitter, look for Troy at Ghostbusters HQ and Chris at Proton Charger. I just want to get back close again. What the hell are you doing? If you like what you hear, please take a moment to give us a review on iTunes. Be sure to recommend us to your friends. That makes good sense. Don't wait another minute. Pick up your phone and call the professional. Once again, our call-in line is 4702-GBHQIC. That ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray. And now that I have, I'm thinking about it, I should have had Kevin do an outro here, knowing how much that Bobby Brown's On Our Own means to him and that this song has always consistently played at the end of all of our episodes. It, I am a terrible producer. I should have had the foresight to think about that. But our thanks again to Mr. Kevin Lim. Uh, please check him out, 104.9 KISS Radio in Vancouver. It's also syndicated across Canada in five markets, I think he said. Uh, but you can also stream it online. Uh, he and Sonia are wonderful co-hosts. Uh, find them on social media because they have a whole lot of fun stuff too. Um, I, I am certainly jealous of uh, their morning show. I mean, we have a few good ones here in LA, but I mean, come on. If, if you could listen to Kevin every morning, I'd be into that. Um, also, uh, Kevin wanted me to make sure that you check out their podcast. They do have a daily podcast. Uh, you just have to search for Kevin and Sonia. Uh, or search for uh, Kevin up on uh, social media at Kevin Lim on air, and uh, you'll be able to find him and the podcast there. But uh, very fun conversation. Hope you guys all enjoyed it. Uh, we also want to hear from you all out there. Uh, tell us 
in terms of your skips, uh, your favorite tracks, any of that kind of stuff, hit the voicemail, hit us up on social media. We definitely want to get your feedback on that. And also, what do you want to hear or not hear on the Ghostbusters Afterlife uh, soundtrack? Do you think we hit the nail on the head? Did we figure it out here on the podcast? Uh, Were we completely wrong? Which happens very often, and we admit it. it's okay. We we will take that uh, with humility and, and humbly. But um, yeah, uh, let us know what you think about Afterlife because I am so excited to hear that soundtrack and I'm hoping that we will be uh, very surprised uh, by what will be on it. And also the score. Like I just keep coming back to the score, man. I am ready for whatever they've got in store for us. Uh, but that's all we've got for uh, this week. Next week, we're going to be doing a Deke Peaks. It's a fun one. So stay tuned for that and a fun commentary on a animated Ghostbusters episode. I almost said real Ghostbusters, but we got to trick up our sleeves, everybody. Uh, And until then, we'll see you all on the other side. Thanks for joining the Ghostbusters Interdimensional CrossRip. Visit us at ProtonCharging.com, GhostbustersHQ.net, and StillPlayingWithToys.net. It used to be one of my two favorite shows. Anything you're doing is bad. I just want to let you know that. We'd like to get a sample of your brain tissue. Next week, though, Careless Pets. We're so cool.